I think a lot of people assume that because we've all suffered from loss and we've all grieved something that we know what it feels like for the other person. Mm. And just because we've gone through grief in our own way doesn't mean that we know the feelings that the other person is feeling. And so it is something that's very individualistic. Welcome to the Trailblazer Podcast. I'm Jan. And I'm Erin. We're best friends, mother and daughter, rural entrepreneurs, and business partners of over two decades. Over 23 years ago, we jumped into the world of entrepreneurship in search of our big purpose. Three years ago, our hard work paid off when we launched an international print magazine, Trailblazer, and business membership. Through these, we have one mission, to empower rural women by helping them build successful businesses, all while cultivating the rural lifestyles they love. So through guest interviews and shows with just the two of us, we'll be chatting about topics like growth mindset, intuition, entrepreneurship, grit, resilience, and so much more. We're going to equip you with the know-how to navigate the sometimes murky waters of entrepreneurship. So whether you're rural, rural-hearted, or intrigued by the rural way of life, get ready to challenge yourself while learning from our experiences and other rural entrepreneurs as we explore the endless opportunities that lie ahead. Together, we can create something extraordinary. Welcome to the Trailblazer Podcast. All right, you're in for a treat. And I think this is a really important conversation and it's going to make you think about the topic in a totally different way. So today we're talking with Erica Lenacek all about grief. And so this is a follow-up from her article in her winter 2023 issue number 13. And kind of blown away by the conversation. I'm still kind of processing all these poignant things that she said, having us uh, stop at our tracks and approach grief in a totally different way. I know because most of us look at grief as just the loss of a person, but grief uh, is attached to so many life situations and seasons and phases that we go through. So we dig into it, but we also look at some tools like how can you be present to grief? How can you help somebody else who is grieving? And so it's just a really cool conversation that I think you're going to get a lot out of. So this gal's got a toolkit and we are privileged to dive into it today and see some of the tools that we can use in our life, especially for grief. So here's a little bit more about Erica. She's a Master of Arts in Counseling Psychology student. She's received her Bachelor in Science, streams in Neuroscience, Psychology and Kinesiology and Bachelor of Education with great distinction in Science, Education and Community Health. She has 13 certifications in various health and wellness fields that include, but aren't limited to, a certified personal trainer, certified mindfulness instructor, and mental health and psychological first aid. So she is the name behind the brand Erica, and she really loves helping individuals feel supported, navigating mental health through simple in-your-pocket tools. Enjoy. Erica, welcome to the Trailblazer podcast. We should have hit record probably like 10 minutes ago. We yeah. had a whole conversation and I wish we would have recorded it. But anyways, welcome. And uh, we're so glad to have you here today. I'm so excited to be on here today too. Thank you so much for having me. So we love to kick this off by saying and asking, tell us who you are. I know you have a lot of letters after your name and we'd love to hear the journey of how you got from where you started to here because it's fascinating and online we've seen you grow and pivot and show up in these humongous ways over the last year and a half so 
can you tell us a little bit about that journey? <laughs> okay. Like I said, how much time do you have? So it starts in childhood. Honestly, it does. My first stuffed animal was a cow. My sister got it to, for me when literally I was a little baby just coming out of the hospital. So I have loved cows for that long. That's where my love, I think for the rural lifestyle, like comes. I, I think so. I had a cow themed room as a kid, but <laughs> I show up online doing mental health and agriculture. So my story, like everybody else's, has many twists and turns and things. I was raised in a very small town, the same town that you live in. Actually, I was raised in Crossfield. Oh. And I, I don't know if you ever knew that. My parents live right across from the school, still do. I'll be down there for Christmas. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. So I was raised there. I, you know, Wheatfield right across from the house, kind of a place. And I always loved farms. I loved agriculture. I loved rural living. Some people didn't like it because it wasn't the city. I loved it. I wanted, I remember begging my parents for a 4-H steer one year and they're like, we can't just put it in the backyard. Like this is not <laughs> happening. And actually I was bullied a lot because I loved the rural lifestyle. And I had some mental health struggles because of that as a younger kid, teens, early teens kind of thing. And I just always wanted to be involved in agriculture. And I was picked on, I was called mean names like a yuppie and things like that for wanting to be involved. And then I went to university and decided to study chemistry and then marketing. And that was no go. And then I remembered that I really loved learning about psychology and abnormal psychology in grade like 10. I think it was distance learning. Okay. And I was like, this is really cool. And I really liked the elective class that I took in my chemistry degree. That was psychology. That was the only class I actually went to other than calculus, because that was really hard. <laughs> but I went. And so then I applied for a bachelor of science in neuroscience, psychology and kinesiology from the University of Lethbridge. And I went and I got my BSc in neuroscience. And I was involved again in like the egg club. I did some work with them for like fundraising for jackets. And I was their secretary at one point in time and just kind of involved in the egg club as it was, went to different events with them and things like that. And felt like I had kind of like met my people and I really wanted to be around rural people my whole life. You know, as you are hanging around in those spaces, going to those events, you meet people. And I met my partner who I now live on a fifth generation commercial black Angus cow calf operation in the middle of nowhere, Alberta, six hours <laughs> away from home. Okay. And I, I moved up here and I was learning about mental health and I was working in mental health in the schools because I'm also a teacher. I have a bachelor of science education, education in science ed or something like that, have that as well. And I like health. I just like, I'm a certified personal trainer. I have a mindfulness certification. I have a crisis response certification. I've got 17 certifications behind oh. my name that I just like learning and I just like doing things. And so I moved up here and I was working in mental health in the schools and I was sitting at a conference one day and the Do More Agriculture Foundation was presenting and they were talking about the statistics of mental health on farms. And at this time, so I have PTSD. I went through a traumatic event in my early 20s and I've never been the same. As trauma happens, you are never the same after something happens like that. 
And I was sitting there and I was just moved out to the farm and I had no friends and I felt so lonely and I just felt like I was done. I was like, I have to move. This can't be my life. I'm not sure. And I went and it was like that day, the world was like, hey, combine the two things you love. Mm -hmm. And I went and I listened to do more egg speech speak at that conference and they were like, Hey, and they were talking about how there's not really a lot of helpers. There's not really a lot of counselors. There's not really a lot of resources for mental health and ag. And there's not really too much going on. And farmers have these statistics and we need more and we need people helping. And I was like, (laughs) I like mental health. I like rural living. I like agriculture. And I feel every single word you're saying about anxiety and depression and like my PTSD and not having access to my counselor anymore because she didn't do at that time. I had to leave her behind when I graduated university because she was through the university and not having access to her anymore. And I was just sitting there and I was like, oh, I could do something so that nobody feels the way that I feel right in this moment. And that's when I started sharing mental health stuff online. Cause I have the education, I have the certificates to do such a thing. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm going to start doing that. And so I started sharing online. Yeah. About a year and a half ago. I don't even, I honestly don't know. It's just kind of been this blur of stuff mm-hmm. that's happened. And I started sharing and eventually it's been a year now I got into my master's. So I'm now in my master's of arts and counseling psychology. And at the end of this journey, I will be a registered psychologist with a specialization in agriculture. Kind of like through that, through sharing online, I joined your trailblazer group and I was like, I need help. I don't really know how to share online. And that opened up. I want to thank you too, because I have met so many women through that and connected to so many people through writing on your magazine. And, you know, that really with like the loneliness is when you have a group of people such as what you offer online, um, be really important for us women and uh, role in like part in me growing as a person. So I, glad to hear yeah, that. Yeah, and because... I just, bravo. I mean, so given all of your experience, yeah. you should be about what, 62? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a couple years behind me. <laughs> no, it's, I just, you know, I, I mean, from as, as we, the three, we've never all met in person. We first met you when you joined the membership and then now just watching you as you've like just evolved blossom. online, it's yeah. so incredible to watch and so inspiring. And I love your story too, because it just shows if you just keep moving forward, you'll find those unique ways to integrate your skills and passions. And to me, that's exactly what you've done. So that just must feel amazing. Yeah. 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 And being able to connect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, it's, it's weird. <laughs> but being able to connect and pull some skill sets together to make something that is uniquely you. Cause I come from a life skills career planning background. And so often people don't realize the gold that they possess in their certain knowledge and skill areas. And sometimes, sometimes we just need to let the universe speak to us and go, Hey, here's, I like this. And I like this, like you just said, and there you are. And especially I, I see you've been through your social media, you've been traveling across speaking Canada, events. speaking. What <laughs> is that all about too? 
Yeah, so I I don't even know. Like I said, I've just been like doing things that I like and sharing about what I like doing. And I don't think I'm that big of a deal. And I honestly don't think I'm doing that great of stuff. But apparently it's a good job. And, and people, so I was uh, actually going to, it was, it's kind of funny. So I got asked to speak for Farm Credit Canada at their mm-hmm. Young Farmers Summits across Canada this year. And I was actually talking to Lucas. I remember I spoke at a different, I can't remember which one they're blurring together, but I was speaking at a conference and somebody else was going to that, like the next day, not as a speaker. They were just like, Hey, you should come. I was like, I can't, I got to get home, you know, the farm. But I think I want to speak there one day. I don't want to go as an attendee. I want to be like the mental health speaker. And that was a year and a bit ago, maybe two years ago now. And I kind of like just said that out loud And I've always kind of done that. I've always in good and bad, like it hits me both ways. I've, when I say something and I'm like, Oh, I think I'm going to do that one day and it happens. (laughs) So, (laughs) so yeah, I'm speaking for farm credit Canada across Canada right now at those, at the young farmer summits. And I said to Lucas in the summer, I was like, I think I'm going to message them. And I don't know if they even know who I am, but they've been resharing some of my content lately. So I think they do know who I am and I'm, it might, it won't hurt to reach out and just be like, Hey, um, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm a public speaker. I'd like to talk to you sometime. And, uh, I woke up the next day and I had an email from them (laughs) in my (laughs) inbox when I checked and I was like, Hey, would you be interested in sitting down for a meeting about these young farmer summits? And I'm like, no way. Yeah, I would. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> so yeah, that was that was wild. But that has happened to me a few times. Actually, uh, can I tell a quick little story? Of oh, course. Please we love do. stories. Yeah. So I'm a teacher. And I decided I didn't want to work as a teacher anymore. I substitute teach still, but I didn't want to, I wanted to leave classroom teaching and really pursue a career in mental health. And I was talking to my principal that year and like, I'm 29 right now. I was 23, 24 when that happened. And I said to him, I was like, I just don't think this is a good fit for me. And he was like, you know what? I agree. I think that you're going to be like a great public speaker. I think you're going to be on this stage. You're going to be doing wonderful things for mental health. Cause I can see that's where your passion is. And he compared me to this one person and I just like looked at him and I was like, no, Dave. I'm going to be better. (laughs) And he was just like, uh, okay. And I'm working on it. She has like, Ooh, 40 years of experience on me. She's really killing it. Top of the game, you know, global scale, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, at that point I was like, I'm 20. So I'm in my early twenties. Now I turned 30 this year. I'm scared, but (laughs) now I turned 30 and I'm like, this is actually happening. If I keep going on that track, I can be that person that I look up to, but I have to have that mindset for myself of like, I'm not, I'm going to be better because otherwise I'm not going to do it unless I believe that I can actually be better. So I've had that mindset the whole time of like, I'm building my own path and I can do this and I'm going to be that great and we're better. And here we, and it's slowly just the ball's rolling. And it's happening. Okay. Oh, that's, yeah. I just, I love that. I love that. So I really want to, steer the ship a little bit because one of the things that we found so cool, Erica wrote for our winter edition of Trailblazer magazine issue number 13. 
and she wrote about grief. And we had a couple of submissions for articles around grief. And I don't know if that coincides with the winter months, but it just seemed to be a timely topic that was, you know, sliding around there. And I loved the article. We both loved the article, but we loved the way that you dug into it and showed us some other things about what grief is. So I'm Sorry to kind of kibosh where we were going, but I really want to make sure that we have time to dip into the article. And I'd really just like to read the first paragraph here. It was just so good. It was poignant. Yes. 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 So it starts off, one of life's greatest challenges is grief. Now, grief is the emotional response to loss, and we actually have neurological processes to handle that loss. Sometimes we don't think we do. We grieve the loss of possibility, the loss of relationships, loss of sense of self, the loss of loved ones. And although people often think of grief as the loss of another human, it's not. I've grieved the end of an era or life phase. I've grieved the sale of horses. I've watched athletes grieve the end of their careers. And I've seen business owners grieve the loss of businesses, ideas, and a sense of self. I've talked to people about grieving the aging of their parents. Sometimes it's hard to heal because the pain keeps us closer to the thing that we have lost. And one of the hardest things in life is that if we love, we grieve. And I get goosebumps even hearing that, you know. Can you believe you wrote that? No. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yes. Yeah. But, but I, I was reading that and I was ticking the box because so often we do just think of it as the loss of another person. But we go through probably grief throughout the year, through throughout every season of se- life, every season of yeah. life. So yeah. but there but there isn't a space for open communication about it. And that's what I think was so important about what you wrote, because often in relationships with our family and friends and coworkers, it's not a typical topic to talk about the grieving of anything other than loss via a relationship or a person, yeah. right? Yeah. Like in our experience or in relationship with people that we know. So why, why do you think that's important? Like why is that, do you think that's often overlooked to, to look at grief through all these other Uh, veins apart from the loss of a person? I think that it comes down to self-protection, to be honest. When you don't admit that you're sad, then you're not sad, right? And so I don't think that a lot of people, like, if you look at professional athletes and their first two years after they quit their sport, maybe they retire, they don't know what to do with themselves a lot of the time. And they would never, most of them would not admit that they are going through a huge transition, the same as losing a loved one, and that it hurts all the same, and it's hard all the same, and it's confusing, and it shows up in the cracks of those little moments when you don't expect it, when you're doing dishes or at the grocery store, all the same. I don't know why we are like this, but I, usually what it comes down to is self-protection. And if we don't admit it, then we're protected from it, or at least we think we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, like, there's so many ways, you know, I'm sure when, like, when people retire, I'm sure I was just thinking they're, that. Yeah. they grieve that or the loss of a lifestyle, the yeah. loss of an identity. We've yeah. grieved a lot of 
things through business projects and pathways that we thought would work out that didn't and and it's just over and you just don't know what to do with that truckload of feelings most of us and I'll speak for myself I still feel awkward in sharing my condolences to someone who has lost a loved one or another person who's very important to them so that's awkward and then the awkwardness carries over to the other things that sadness that people could feel for all these phases and things that end so could you help us out there like with some some wording and some understanding as to how to reach that person and at the least say something meaningful at the most offer something that might be comforting because I still stumble around with that in in such huge ways so what do you say to that so in grief in general I don't like to apologize so you know how like the most people say I'm so sorry for your loss I don't like to say I'm so sorry for your loss because that is putting it on me. That's putting the attention on me. I like to say I couldn't imagine what you're going through or you're going through the unimaginable right now and no words could possibly put be put into how you're feeling. And I want you to know that I'm here and I and I see your sadness and I see the heaviness of what you're going through. I think we can make it a little bit more personal to those people mm-hmm. of like of what, what are you going through? Like, for example, I work on the crisis line and one thing that we say is like their exact situation back to them in our own words. And we, we paraphrase it or we echo it back. And so say someone lost a parent or a grandparent and you could say, you know, there's no words to be put into how you're feeling right now over the loss of your grandparent. And I just want you to know I'm here and the community supports you and we're here for you. Now, the key to that is, is in those moments of grief, when somebody is going through it and they're right in the middle of it, whether they're grieving the loss of a business or business idea or a person, or, you know, I said the sale of my horse, check up on them months later. It's not actually right now. If you say, I'm sorry for your loss. Sure. Yeah. That means a lot. It does. But it's in the following months when the dust settles, the people leave and the things happen. That's when your words and your actions are really going to show because everybody's there at the beginning, right? Everybody's, the phone calls are coming in, but I, you know, two months, six months, a year later, that's when they stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really like how what you said in that is you repeat back to them because I think the piece in there is acknowledgement. I think oftentimes if we're the person grieving or who has experienced loss, we feel in those moments that no one knows, the, no one has any idea how deeply we're hurting. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps no one can know what that feels like. But just to hear those words spoken back to us and to be acknowledged in that moment, I can imagine that that would just, just to be acknowledged is, is kind of pops the bubble over this dynamic of someone trying to comfort us. Mm-hmm. And someone being able to repeat that back to us just to acknowledge that they, they know. Yeah. 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 That acknowledgement is huge, 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 huge. Mm-hmm. And it shows that you're listening too, right? That, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you think that grief is talked about enough or openly enough? What are your thoughts on that? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't because when I, I mentioned various circumstances where you can feel grief and 
there's probably a lot of those where people aren't going to be, say like, you, you don't feel grief over that. Well, guess what? The horse, the song that was playing when I sold my horse and we drive up, drove out of that driveway after dropping him off. I'm not a crier. I cry every time that song plays still to this very mm-hmm. moment. I lost a dear friend when I was 18 um, in a car accident, the song that played at her funeral, you know, that song, there's always one song yeah. that plays during the slideshow that gets to you. Yeah, I can't yeah. listen to that song. I'm 29. It's been 11 years and I still can't listen to that song without crying or having some kind of emotional reaction to it. So I think that not only do we, we think that grief lasts only a short time, but we don't talk about it in the sense of it's something that could last forever because maybe you thought that that love for that person or that thing was going to last forever. And we are now we've made like, I saw this really amazing way to describe it. Actually, we have those neural connections for that process of talking to that person or seeing that horse or working on that business idea or training for that sport. And we have to actually rewire our brains away from thinking about doing that. And so we have to switch a whole new neural pathway. And that takes a lot of time to do. And I talk Mm -hmm. about that on my page a lot when it comes to adding coping strategies into your life or taking small steps towards your goals or manifesting things, whatever that looks like. But it also works for grief too. And when you're so used to having that thing in your life, it takes a long time and you might never get used to not having that thing in your life. I completely yeah. agree. I, that is so important. I I can relate to that in term in a whole other lifetime. I was married and divorced and when you're separate like once you get married, you know, our minds plan the next 1 5 10 20 50 years and we project all these things that we're going to do and we vision and we're going to and then when you split from that person via divorce that's exactly what I remember having to do is you have, cause you think of, Oh yeah, that's not going to happen. Oh yeah. That's not going to happen. And so I can completely relate. How about you? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm just thinking with what you said in the article too, that it leaves a hole in you. And so you have to move forward with the hole. And I think there's a misconception out there that we somehow are going to heal it. And then that part's just going to be fine again someday And so I appreciate hearing that we might just have to move forward with that hole the rest of our lives and find a way to do that in a way that Mm. helps us to function. So how would, how would somebody continue to move forward still feeling that to, to whatever degree? I mean, it comes in ways. It's a simple question, but it's not right. That's the, the hard part about being human. Yeah, it's very person specific, right? Because you're going to find things that work for you that aren't going to work for the next person. I think when it comes to grief and loss of something, you have to eventually get back to like some sense of a normal routine. So that grieving period, I took a grief, loss and bereavement class when I was in university, (laughs) interestingly enough, and we talked about the importance of like a funeral, for example. And I think we lack that in all of those other areas, right? Where you don't Mm. actually, you don't have a funeral for the loss of a business idea, but you need to have some sort of a, a moment of recognizing them. And there is a reason that most funerals are like two, three, 
four days after the person passes away. And that's because of how we start the, the mourning process. And you get that emotional release out, you say your goodbye, you go through that process a lot of the time, and then you start to get back to your normal routine. And the normal routine is really important because that has that sense of consistency. And we are people who like consistency, right? We like to have the same things, right? I just talked about how the hole in your, in your, from that loss comes from part of that, the inconsistency in your normal neural processes of talking to them or whatever that looks like. So we need to have some sense of consistency back in our lives And if we can get that sense of consistency back, then we can move forward slowly. And if grief comes, one tip I learned through my own journey of grief and loss is to schedule it. So if I'm in the middle of giving a speech and I suddenly miss my horse or something, because that actually happens to me all the time. I regret selling that horse a lot. But if I'm in the middle of that, I can't, I can't start crying over my horse because I'm giving a speech to hundreds of people, yeah, I can yeah. say, okay, I, in my brain know, okay, I'm going to talk about this with myself. I'm going to have a moment for this later. I'm not shoving it down. I'm just saying not right now. And then I go and I do my thing. I play that song. I always watch ladder 49 when I'm upset. I have my moment and I let my emotions be. So you still allow yourself to feel, you still honor that person being thing, whatever it was in your own way. And then you can have that grief and you can process those emotions through doing that. That's one way that like really helped me. And I learned that from a counselor of like, you know, cause I, I lost my aunt while I was writing university exams and I couldn't, I couldn't focus. I couldn't do anything. And she's like, we have to almost compartmentalize. Like right now it's not time to feel this grief, mm-hmm. but at this point, you know, when you're writing your chem exam, you have to be able to write your chem exam. And then when you get home, unwind, and you can take that moment, find the things that make you feel your emotions. For me, it's music and ladder 49 every time, but you find your thing. And then remember at after that moment to then do the self care of like, go to the gym, go for a walk, do the things that make you feel good after you've had the time to feel those emotions again. Yeah. I really like the thing with the movie. I think most of us have a movie that we know if we put it on, we're going to be crying. And I sometimes recognize that when I'm crying, it isn't about the movie, but it's the release of it, right? And just really get into it. So I think for people who are listening, that's probably a helpful thing to do. What are some of the other things? Like, does journaling or anything like that fall into those categories as well? Journaling is always helpful because of the fact that it helps process information. So people think, I'm going to give a little bit of an education session on journaling because a lot of people think journaling is just like, you get this open page and it seems really daunting. And I think that's because when you get a blank page at school, you're taught, you put your name, you put your date and you structure it, right? A certain way. But journaling, and so get they get this page and they're like, well, how do I do this? Do I put my name? Do I have to put, how do I, I don't know what to do. And that's the feedback I've heard. And so I say, you know what? Throw out everything you learned at school about a piece of paper and what to do when you get it and just do whatever. So I've done like where I listen to different songs and I write all the lyrics that speak to me and I do like quotes. 
drawing, doodling, any type of getting that emotional processing out is really great. And it actually moves it from one part of your brain to another part of your brain through writing it down. Um, Video audio journaling is something that they're showing more research on too. And so that would be things like just like talking into like a voice note or just talking to yourself in the car. And there's more, there's more and more research coming out on that. There's not a ton right now, but it's still a type of processing, right? Mm-hmm. How many arguments have you won in the shower by yourself? <laughs> exactly. um, Every, <laughs> won. Every time. <laughs> it's amazing. But having those conversations, yeah. right? Even if there's no one there. Yeah. And so, yeah, journaling is great too. I always like to go outside. I'm a big, big advocate for nature and there's something really amazing about seeing the vastness of nature. Canada is so blessed. We can drive to the Rocky Mountains and you can sit there and you can just be. And then you can see like these things, the magnitude of these and how vast they are and all the trees and like being in nature. First of all, it has grounding effects because of the different bacteria and things like that in the dirt and air and all the good stuff that, but also just being still and allowing for the quiet too can be really, really powerful. Yeah. And I have to say like you walk the talk with that. That's what I love about watching your Instagram stories is you are so consistent with showing up for yourself. Like you have such a healthy boundary for your daily movement. And I, I see you like walking and in the summer it's kayaking, right? Like that <laughs> yeah. or paddleboarding. Kayaking, anyways, both, both. Okay. But I, mm-hmm. Can you talk about just how important it is for that daily movement and fresh air? I mean, you just did a little bit, but I just want to say you do such a great job demonstrating it. I even think of you sometimes. I'm like, okay, if Erica can fit this in, I can fit this in. Or, you know, this is a non-negotiable for her and I'm working to making it a non-negotiable for myself. Oh, I love hearing that. That makes me so happy. It is a non-negotiable for me because of what I do and because of the capacity in which I work in, I need to, I, in order to help other people and do a crisis response weekly and stuff like that, I have to do that. Otherwise I simply can't help other people. Um, so there's a little bit of like some play with that for me of like why, but at the same time, you know, outside physical activity has so many benefits to it. You know, there's research coming out about what happens when you go outside within the first 30 minutes of your day and how the vitamin D and the sun and the light impacts your serotonin. So your happiness, chemicals, your oxy, like all the different things. And then also your sleep wake cycle. Mm -hmm. And so if you go outside within the first 30 minutes of day, your brain's like, oh, being light, natural light's really good. Artificial light's kind of hard for your brain to comprehend because it's not natural, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so if you go outside within the first 30 minutes, your brain's like, hey, like this is good. I'm getting fresh air. I'm moving. I'm. You're getting all the happiness chemicals, the endorphins, you know, the dopamine, all the stuff. And it's boosted literally just because you're outside in the sun moving your body and your brain and your and your breathing, your brain and your body love all of that. But also just like physical activity generally has been shown for years and years and years to decrease anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and burnout and increase energy. So mm. yeah, I really try to prioritize my daily walks outside. 
I didn't even put mine on my story today, but I went out first thing in the morning. Of, of course I, I did. You. Yeah, <laughs> I did. <laughs> but I just like, and then I, as soon as I get inside, I'm like repaid automatically. And I'm like, oh, this feels like, it feels so good. I'm awake. I'm ready for the day. And like, here we are. And it just starts my day off on a really good note. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. In your article, you talked about three things that one would need to note or are important to note about grief. And I'm just wondering if you could touch on them. And then one of the, the first one was that grief is individualistic. And I know sometimes people look at someone and think, oh man, like, just get over it. When are they going to move right? on? Right. <laughs> yeah. And so we often don't recognize that how I grieve is different from you grieving mm-hmm. and Aaron. So can you, can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, I think a lot of people assume that because we've all suffered from loss and we've all grieved something that we know what it feels like for the other person. And just because we've gone through grief in our own way doesn't mean that we know the feelings that the other person is feeling. And so it is something that's very individualistic. And on like, again, I go back to my crisis response training. We're taught that even if we've been through something very, very similar what that other person is going through is completely different because of the fact that everything that you do is going to be perceived through the lenses of all of your previous experiences. Mm -hmm. So say you lost a loved one and you had a complicated relationship and somebody says, you know, I lost my great uncle too 10 years ago. And you're like, yeah, but like, me and my great uncle, like he was more like my dad or something like that. Yeah, like it's, yeah. you're going to have a different, a totally different lens to look through, through than anybody else in, in the world. And even in having this conversation right now, you're perceiving it, both of you to come from a completely different way than I'm even saying it. So just being aware of that when you come across somebody who's grieving or when you're grieving yourself. That's such a good reminder because, yeah, in this moment, like you can name certain roles and we're all going to feel differently and draw upon these memories and associations of that that role. That's really which uh, makes me think how not helpful saying to somebody, I know how you feel is when they're grieving because you you just don't. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though we try and relate. And I know I've said that to people in the past and I think now, yeah, that's having lost your dad. Right. Yeah. 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 Totally. I mean, that's, it's an authentic, genuine, honest thing that we think we're saying we're to help. Oh yeah. 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 It's from, it's always from the best of intentions. It really is. But yeah, it's, just not necessarily the case. case. Yes. yes. And and the second thing you mentioned in your article was that communication is key. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So I, I just, when it comes to pretty much anything, I'm a big fan of communication because we can't assume that other people know how you feel. And we can't assume that again, like what we just talked about that because somebody is, has lost the same person to them as you lost to you at one point, that you're going to know how it feels for them. And so if we can communicate and we can say, you know, like I'm having a really rough day today. I just, can you go a little light on me? That can make a really, really big difference for you and for the people around you too. If you're off and you're, you're struggling and something's going wrong and there's something happening and you're just not showing up mentally 
in your best capacity because you're overwhelmed with grief that day. And if you can verbalize that and you can say, Hey, like I'm struggling today with this grief and people might be nice and give you a little bit of grace. Right. And there, it makes it a lot easier to understand than if you just show up and you're a total jerk or something like that. So that it's really helpful to have that communication, that communication piece all the time. And especially with family too. I want to add that too, because I think family is a different dynamic than out in the world. And a lot of times with family, it shows up in things like arguments or, you know, people not power struggle, yeah, stuff like that. And just being able to say, you know what, actually, I'm just struggling today. And sometimes you might not recognize that it's grief and that's okay. And that's, you know, that's human of you too. But if you can, if we can learn to communicate how we're feeling rather than say, quote unquote, taking it out on our family members, then imagine what the dynamics in like a home could be. Yeah, I absolutely so like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then number three, feel it. I think this is where a lot of people avoid because big feelings are are hard to feel and we'll do anything, eat, shop, drink, whatever, right? Not to feel. So how would you advise someone to let themselves encourage them? Yeah, Yeah. Sink into a feeling and, and go there and be okay with it. Find a way that's comfortable. I honestly think so for me, it's ladder 49 and music for some people, it might be a different way, but in feeling it, I also want to encourage people through saying that it's a lot harder to feel it when you're not in control of feeling it. And when it bottles up and it kind of just explodes out of you, then it is to allow yourself to feel it when you feel it coming and addressing it and being kind of like in control a little bit. So you can't control grief and you can't control when it happens, but you can say, like I said earlier, not right now. Or you can say, I, I have the capacity to do this right now. Otherwise it's going to become unmanageable and it's going to be hard in different possibly unhelpful situations. So I I would say find a a healthy coping mechanism that works for you. And I used to run. I can't run anymore because of my shins, but I used to run when I felt grief, I would just go for a really long run. And then I would have a really hot shower and I just felt like a whole new person. And so getting that energy out, because all emotions are is energy that's telling us something is happening that we need to pay attention to in some capacity, some way, shape or form. So if you can find a way to get that energy out, whether it's crying or going for walks or going for runs or chopping wood, like you see in every single movie with every guy moving that. It's only the guys that are out there chopping the wood. (laughs) Always. Like, I don't know. You women need to get out there and chop some wood. Yeah, chop some wood. (laughs) But if like moving that emotional energy into some kind of physical energy so that you can process it in a way that's healthy is something that's like really, really beneficial for you as like an emotional intelligence just generally. Oh, yeah. no doubt. I'm going to tell a little story. When I was getting divorced from Aaron's dad, you know, you go through all these phases and sadness, 
anger. <laughs> I know what the anger. Grief. Um, yeah. yeah, part of the grief. Yeah, <laughs> but a big feeling. And Lucia Cappuccioni wrote a book called The Power of the Other Hand. And it was writing with your dominant hand, journaling with your dominant hand and your non-dominant hand. And I remember putting that pen in my left hand. Because you're right-handed. Yeah, yeah. Writing page after page of swear word and swear word and swear word. And I used to feel exhausted when I was done, when I would burn the sheets because I didn't want the kids to find them. They were not very old back then, but that, that was a, that was a really good outlet and channel for me. So I'm just going to add that to the mix too. And that sometimes we can burn up the pages by just, because you can feel angry. Somebody's passed away and you're angry that, that they're gone too. So it's not not just related to divorce, but I think lots of things can can trigger all kinds of feelings. And sometimes we think that it's just going to be sadness, but there's a there's a merry-go-round of other things <laughs> that go with oh, yeah. with it too. So yeah, uh, yeah. I-, I wanted to ask you in your experience, how have you seen a difference in how men and women process and feel grief? Men tend to be more on the angry side. I would say a lot of the time they they are stoic, right? You don't see a lot of emotion Mm -hmm. for them, even at like the funerals and stuff like that. Like when they're first going through it, you don't see a lot of that emotion, but then they'll just be kind of mad all the time. And you don't see that like sad, but we have to remember like in our culture that men are taught, many cultures, men are taught to be angry is the only emotion you're allowed to feel. So that tracks for why we see that women are more likely to, you know, feel the sadness, cry, probably try journaling or doing things like that. Men are going to get their energy out through physicality a lot of the time, such as we saw chopping wood in different movies. But yeah, very different. And it doesn't have to be different. Um, It can be the same, but look different for men. But yeah, a lot of the time it's just generally more angry. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So any closing thoughts on what would you say to our listeners who perhaps right now are, are going through grief or processing the loss of something? What would just be your number one message to them right now to help soothe that process? Well, you know, my tagline, which is you have survived 100% of your hardest days. You can survive today too. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. It stops you in your tracks when you hear that, because sometimes we think, I'm not going to make it through Mm -hmm. this one. I'm just not going to make it through this one. And, and that's a really empowering statement because if you're here, you've done it again and again and over and over. And that's really, yeah, it's profound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It came out of a counseling session for me, actually. I was really struggling and my counselor was like, what, what can you tell yourself to get through this? Because like, you don't really have another option. You have to get through this. And I was kind of like, well, I have a hundred percent track record of making it through my hardest days so far. So I can probably do it too. And then she mm-hmm. wrote it on a sticky note for me and I kept it on my mirror at university and I have a hundred percent track record so far. So we all do. And I think it speaks really true to that. Like we all have, even in our hardest, darkest moments where if you're listening to this, like you're still here. So that means that you can do it because you've done it before. 
Yeah. And there's where the hope and yeah, the hope that someday you won't be feeling so, so rough and tough as you're feeling now and that, that things could be, be different and that you're, you might carry that, that feeling with you forever, but you can, you can build a new future. So I think that's really, I love that. Yeah. 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 Gosh, Erica, thank you so much. Now, okay, where can everyone connect with you? What's your Instagram? What's your website? What are all your resources? This is the time to spill all that. Okay, my Instagram is the brand Erica. That is the best place to reach me. If you're a Facebooker, I also have a Facebook page, um, the brand Erica on Facebook. And my website is www.thebranderica.com. Nice. All right. So, on all places, I'm pretty consistent. <laughs> and, and what are some good branding? Yeah, good branding, consistency. And what are some of the ways that our listeners could potentially reach out to you, or work with you, or connect with you? DMs on Instagram is a good way to reach me, or on my website, I have different forms that people can fill out, or through just an email, which is thebranderica at gmail.com. And yeah, <laughs> okay. All right. That's awesome. Just want to say thank you. We're so glad this is maybe not the first of many conversations and we just treasure you as a regular contributor to Trailblazer magazine. And And we thank you. And we thank you. And we can't wait to do it again and work with you again. So thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks so much. Well, I am. It's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me and having me in your magazine and on your podcast. Well, my pleasure. You talk about important things. So that's important to us. Yes. All right. Take care. You did it. You just finished another episode of the Trailblazer podcast. We love bringing you real life stories and know-how from rural women. Head over to our website, www.trailblazerco.com for today's show notes with all the links and special offers from today's sponsors. Want to help us grow? Tag us and screenshot this episode or share your takeaways in the comments over on Instagram and Facebook. We'd love to see you over there. So this is Jan and Erin signing off. See See you you next time, Trailblazers. Trailblazers.